How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. Super good to be with you. Today, I've got Jefferson Bethke joining me on the podcast. New York Times bestselling author. He's a thinker. He's uh, just a, He has some really, really good perspective. Young dad who's got just incredible wisdom on what it looks like to lead our families well, point our families towards Jesus. He's going to tell us about uh, some good stuff he's working on that is beneficial to you. So make sure you stick around and listen for that. Um, if you're brand new to the Dad Tire community, welcome. We're super glad to have you. You can go to dadtire.com, click the community tab. That will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook with thousands of guys from around the world who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. We'd love to have you come be part of that. Before we dive in, I do want to thank my friends over at Blinkist for sponsoring this episode. Listen, I understand we're all busy. We're dads, we're husbands trying to raise our kids. We're balancing our work and our health and our family and church life and all the stuff you've got going on. But it doesn't mean you've got to stop learning, stop improving yourself. There's an app uh, I highly recommend for busy moms and dads. It's called Blinkist. It's the only app. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, condenses them down to just 15 minutes so you can read or you can listen to. Uh, Blinkist has made four busy dads like us who want to get the main points of a book quickly without having to read the entire book. They've got an audio feature on there. Uh, so they make it super easy. You can finish four books in a day while you're working on your commute. As you're going throughout your busy day, you can still be reading and learning and improving yourself. There's over 8 million people who are using Blinkist right now. It's got a massive growing library from self-help books to business books, health books, history books, all kinds of good stuff. One of my favorite, I've mentioned it before, uh, is Start With Why uh, by Simon Sinek. I mentioned his kind of principles all the time on this podcast. It's one of my favorite books. There's also a book on there called No Drama Discipline that was super fascinating and another one that's really uh, a favorite of mine. Listen, I listen to all of these uh, within one day because they're so quick and you get the main points within a day. Uh, it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, you can go through all those books in one day because again, it just takes the, the main points, the main takeaways, and in 15 minutes or less, uh, you're reading a book and you're, you're accomplishing stuff and you're still learning throughout the day. So super good stuff. Right now for a limited of time, uh, limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our dad tire audience. If you go to Blinkist.com forward slash tired, T-I-R-E-D, you can start a seven-day free trial. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash tired. You can start a seven-day free trial. Again, that's Blinkist.com forward slash tired. Jeff, super glad to have you back, man. Uh, dude, you're the first guest that we've ever had on the show twice, other than my wife. Oh, look at that. We, yeah, no, no pressure. Uh, well, no, dude, thank, thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, man, super excited. What are you up to these days? Hanging. I mean, as you know, we're in the same boat right now. We're both trying to get used to a new rhythm of, you know, infant to other kids. So I think we're just, right now, It's we're up to just learning a new rhythm is what we kind of say in call it a, a new way to do things. There's a lot more. We realize all the times are short again. You know, once you have yep. toddlers, it's a little bit more like blocks of time. Kind of, we saw the day in two halves, uh, like the morning, the nap time, and then the evening. And now we see it as like 15, you know, 20, 15 minute blocks. So, uh, so it's just funny. Yeah, we're, we're basically just kind of learning and then and working on things, launching things. We got our family teams thing that we're doing where me and my mentor, you know, teaching people about how to, and, and Alyssa and his wife, um, how to build multi-generational family teams on mission. We got podcast courses, et cetera. But yeah, so that's what I'm working on. And then life-wise, that's kind of where we're concentrating on with uh, just 
learning to be a family of five. Nice, man. We'll dive into a bunch of stuff that you just mentioned there, but uh, I think you posted on the family team's Instagram the other day for dads or parents with infants or newborns. Like, what's the number one piece of advice? So first, what's your number one piece of advice for dads with newborns? Yeah, it's it's funny. It was actually This was actually a piece of advice that Jeremy gave to me, which Jeremy is kind of the other half of family teams, him and his wife, the Priors, and us, the Bethkeys, uh, when they really started stepping into our lives and mentoring us probably five years ago now. Um, you know, so we would, they would have been in our lives for maybe a year or two when Kinsley was born. And, uh, I just realized we were reaching some tension points with Alyssa. I mean, Alyssa, we're kind of, I just, you know, when you don't have the blueprint, you just don't know what to do. And I was like, you know, I needed to work and I was working from home and then there's a crying baby. Alyssa's trying to new learn, you know, how to be a mom and I'm learning how to be a dad. And I just think I divided the two. I, I wanted the divide to be too sharp and clean you know, meaning like I'm just kind of that person of like divide and conquer of like, Hey, I'll do this. You do this. And it just, and I just assumed that that was, you know, that would figure itself out, but it actually led to a lot of detriment just because, um, a couple of things. One, that wasn't what was actually, you kind of have to more study your own family and be like, Oh, what's best for us? What's our cadences? What's our rhythms? What's our bandwidths? What's our energy levels? What's our schedule? What's our job? How can we kind of all do this as a team? And then two, in that divide and conquer, I realized I was kind of not really taking advantage of those special first four to six months, I'd probably call it, that are just super, super sweet, man. I'm just like bonding and attachment. And I kind of, so, so my, my advice when I tell people that is, and now that, and that Jeremy gave to me too, which is really helpful. He's like, just don't dad specifically don't forsake those really, really early newborn times. Cause it's actually really, really easy to let the wife do it all in those stages. Um, in that early stage, just cause you're not needed. Like you don't, you know, like you're the wife literally, you know, feeds the child, you know, like, yeah. so like you don't, you don't have as easy of an entry point. And so I think fighting for entry points, fighting for moments with the kid or the kids and the newborn and really trying to kind of insert yourself into those early, early first couple of months of attachment, I think has been really, really helpful. That was really, really helpful that we heard early on. And it's just really sweet. It's just really special and such sweet memories and moments. And, um, so that's always my advice is I tell in a trite way, I tell dads to do nothing. And that's, but I mean that literally of like, do nothing with your baby. Like just sit, like we're so busy working or doing this or do like, just do nothing, sit there and do nothing, but have the baby in your arms. And that's kind of the little piece of advice I say for newborns. And then also help when you can and, uh, and try to alleviate your wife as much as possible too, because it's such a, such a hard season on spouses or wives. Yep. Yeah, dude, it's interesting because I was I was actually just talking to one of my best friends today on the phone and we were talking about um, he was asking how our new baby was doing and how I've bonded with her. And, you know, the as you know, the with the third one, you kind of have somewhat of a framework of emotions to expect, like what what's to expect uh, with the babies now. And um, it's interesting because for I think for us dads, um, we so much. So I think you even mentioned this in the family team that there's the bonding um over like doing like shared experiences. Was that you that was just doing that or did I read something? Hold on. What, what do you mean? Say that again. So there's like shared experience, like bonding happens through shared experience. Maybe I'm totally missing like, Oh yeah, no, mix. I think that was from us, but I do, I have seen some data and research there too. Of like, yeah, you going through things together, whether that's actually loss or wins, you know, if those losses are done healthily, if, if for lack of a better term, yeah, really, really kind of unifies and bonds each other together. Right. So it's for, so for dads, it's like, you know, the mom carries the baby for nine months, nine plus yeah. months. And that there's that just 
chemically, biologically, there's like some serious bonding happening there. And then when the baby's born, she's obviously feeding. She's like, she's the primary caretaker, just like naturally what's happening there. And so I, I always tell people, dads, like for first time dads, especially who are having a newborn, like, man, uh, it's okay if you're, if like your emotions haven't caught up yet. And like, if your wife is just her, all of her emotions around baby and you still feel like you're trying to catch up, that's like really normal. But I yeah. think pairing that advice with what you just said, which is really good and, uh, that it's okay to just sit and do nothing like, um, to just, to just be fully present with your baby. Like, and that's hard for us, especially some dudes to just like sit down and, uh, do nothing. Totally. Cause some, some of us actually go in overdrive in newborn stage where we're like, okay, new baby gotta, gotta work more, gotta make more, gotta provide more. And sometimes there has to be a check in our spirit to almost do the opposite because it's really more just about the actual, relational levels of the wife and the baby and the family. Yep. And I think our wife probably thinks we're much hotter when we're just holding the baby. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, you mentioned in the beginning when I asked what you're up to, you you use some language around teams. Um, that's like a new concept for 99.9% of dads. Um, but I know you've been talking about it a lot over on the family teams, uh, Instagram and what you're doing there. Talk us through like what you learned from Jeremy and what this whole concept of what it means to be a team and specifically for a dad to be a coach. Totally. And so, yeah, so this is kind of Jeremy and his wife, April, have been kind of teaching, speaking on this and really kind of being in a place of leadership on this for almost two decades now, but very local. He's a, he's a person that uh, his mission, I think their cool mission statement they have for their family or one of their projects is um, to raise up a thousand disciple making households in the city of Cincinnati and so that's what they've been laser focused on in the last, you know, long period of time as their family. And that's their mission. Um, but it's been through and he's, he's really kind of created and cultivated these tools and resources and frameworks by deep scripture study and, you know, him, himself having gone to seminary and studied and gone, you know, just really deep dive down the rabbit hole and finding that there really is like the way we do family in the West just really is weird, for lack of a better term. We all just do it because we do it, but it's very individualistic. It's not multi-generational. And it's very much like he likes to say, like you kind of hit the reset button every generation of it's, or we actually think that's a good thing of every time there's a new generation of people, you know, get married, have kids, those kids grow up and then those kids get married. It's kind of like, get away from me, send them off. I don't want to be with you again. You know, and it's not that harsh. We still do Christmases and Thanksgivings together, but from like a mission standpoint, we definitely say like, Oh, you know, we're done. Like bye. Um, and kind of reset, let them go or whatever. When scripturally, and he just kind of contrasts that with what he calls the classical view or the, the, the scriptural view, which is, and you see it once you start seeing it type of thing where, yeah, it was so much more about legacy and lineage and multi-generational relationships. And that's why there's so many genealogies. And that's why God's called the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, you know, and I always like I, I always make a joke when I speak about this on places of like none of us can literally even do that. Like if we worshiped God today, you know, and it was kind of the similar story of Yahweh in the Old Testament with the patriarchs we would be, we would call him the God of, I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't care. You know, like we have no idea. We can't go back three generations. None of us can, you know, not even close. And so, um, it's just clear that that's a value in the scriptural worldview. That's not a value to us. And one of the primary frameworks that you see in scripture on why it was so important is because one of God's primary vehicles for the mission of God, which is to reign and rule over all creation and to rule over the nations in grace and in love, um, under King Jesus from Genesis all the way to Revelation is one of the primary vehicles to do that is a family. Like it's not it, when God, like there was a problem in Genesis one that the rest of the world needed to be subdued and brought into order. There was a problem. There wasn't sin, but there was a problem. Now that problem needed to be solved. 
Now, God didn't create an app. God didn't create an agency. He didn't create a committee. He created a family. That's really interesting. And to us, probably really inefficient. We probably wouldn't do it that way if we were faced with the same problem. Um, And it was a family team. Like it was literally like, okay, go make a big team that has a similar focused mission that unifies around leadership, which is what we call kind of coaches on those teams. And you just start seeing it everywhere that that's the scriptural mandate and focus of how God's going to put the world back together is strong family teams on mission um, in a multi-generational way. And so, yeah, so we just kind of, so then we kind of created this brand out of a lot of the stuff that they've already talked about and done called family teams. And we just try to equip and train and encourage people with a lot of tools and resources here. Cause there's a ton of different ways to do this, that the American way actually goes against, you know, like the fact that we don't eat it. One of the strongest team building exercises is eating meals together, right? Anyone who's ever played sports, it's like you eat a meal together. There's a lot of NFL or NBA teams where before game day, they eat a meal together, you know, and families, Amish families, Jewish families have a super strong family culture because they have a super strong table culture. And so there's a ton of different ways that we're just trying to really kind of push back that Western view of individualism that goes kind of against the grain of a family team and try to reinfuse tools, resources, tips, tricks, we have everything from huge courses, you know, that people can go through to books to just social media tips. Um, but it's really fun and it's really cool because it's deeply impacted us personally. And me and Alyssa have been trying to walk this journey for four or five years ourselves. And yeah, you just start to see tiny little fruit of it. You know, a lot of it's kind of the compound interest concept where you might not see anything for 50 years, but that's the whole point again of like God has a longer vision. You know, we, we, we want to extract all the value by the time we're 80 and we die. And God says, no, 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 I have a 700 year old promise or something, you know, that I want to actually you to be the start of. So yeah, there's a lot there, but that's kind of the initial. Yeah. That's, that's what I would like to like really focus on for a second, because I think when you say multi, when we think through multi-generational families right now, like I think most people are going to hear that and think like, does that mean my grandparents or my parents move into our house and like we all share a house together? That's typically what people think of when they think of multi-generational. But I think you just made it really clear at the end there when you said, um, instead of trying to suck out all the life I can for my short 80 years, like I'm thinking I'm teaming up with the kingdom, with what God's doing in the kingdom and his redemption of the world over a long period of time. And so instead of just figuring out what I can consume uh, personally and even with my kids and from my kids, uh, I'm thinking through like, how do I continue or build a legacy that's going to go for the next 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years? Totally. Well, it's, and it's, and it's about blessing, right? So one of the cleanest pictures of this is Abraham, where he was blessed by God to then be a blessing to the nations. And his family was going to number so much that it would be more than even the sand on the beach, you know, or sand in the sea. And so, um, that is a very long promise, meaning like Abraham didn't live to actually see what God promised him. And that that's how it should be. You have a very, if you, if God promises something that can be you, if God promises you something that can be fully realized in your lifetime, then you actually have a really, really small short sighted promise. Hmm. Um, God, God usually shoots a lot farther, usually shoots a lot longer. And there's usually what I like to call always a seed of hope in the first generation, but usually you don't see even close to what God actually promised. So like Abraham was a perfect picture, right? So promise to hold promise to make an entire nation out of him. And he doesn't even come close to seeing that, but God miraculously gives him one son in old age that is like a seed of that promise. 
and a seed of that miracle. So he gets like he gets basically like a baby seed, you know what I mean, and like a, yeah. a small seed that then will turn into a fruit thousand years from now. So I think he does both. He doesn't leave us hanging, but we also have to realize God doesn't work. Like it's very short to think that like God's things are eighty. We do, our concept of time is like one place to start. Of like we think eighty years is so long, when it's like no, that's you're kind of a think about about it like bricks, right? You're you're one brick in hopefully a direction God wants to take you in a new way. Or he wants you to build on from your previous family who loves the Lord as well. Um, and seeing it like that, I think, also takes off a lot of pressure to just live a faithful life, to just do, you know, just to understand where God's taking you and live in faithfulness. That's super good, dude. That's really good stuff. I think you may have taken that story and Maui versioned it, like Hawaii versioned it. Because you said, <laughs> you said uh, the, the numbers beach, of exactly. grains of sand on the uh, earth. I think it's stars in the sky. Or did he reference sand? I, th- I think it, no, I think you're right. I think it's stars in the sky. But I think there's like a psalm or something that said that that's, that like referencing it, that says <laughs> Bro, that. Bro, you're just in Hawaii. Beach. You're yeah, just exactly. in Hawaii, man. I, the beach thing was Maui. But I do think there's something where it talks about the sand. But you're right. Or maybe I'm making that up. But yeah, it's like <laughs> you, I Maui'd it. I think the script. I think it's. I'm not. You probably. You've got probably more seminary thing than me. But I. I think it's no, I, God. I dropped out. His, his good. His good thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. But oh, yeah, Abraham's right. promise. I was, right. Yeah, I was mixing them up. The stars <laughs> in the sky, which is interesting too, because stars in the sky is actually. Well, there's a whole other thing there, but that star, stars actually had to do with like regal and development. So there's actually a whole other thing there of the writer of Genesis. I think is kind of dropping a breadcrumb in regards to Abraham's family being a nation of priests and kind of a middleman between God and man. Um, and not that we are like middlemen, you know, divine, but that there is a level of royalty that I think the stars thing had to do there. So yes, thanks for reminding me of that. No, it's good stuff, man. Um, the thought popped into my mind as you were talking on that last thing. Um, what do you think? I, I've actually heard Christian leaders, this, this just happened the other day on Twitter, actually, um, a well-known Christian leader posted something about family being one of the biggest idols in church today. Um, and it's something I remember hearing a lot when I was working in the church world is saying like, we, we just, we've turned family into an idol, um, which always, I just, I cringe when I hear it actually. Cause I think that they're, I think that they're taking um, certain things out of context and then just over like making blanket statements about the family. But before I give all my thoughts on that, I'd love to hear, have you heard that? And if so, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? Totally. Well, two things, just, we're both right. I just Googled it's Genesis twenty two seventeen, and he actually says both. He says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. <laughs> descendants will take possession of the cities and their enemies. That's, That's hilarious. Awesome. So we're both right. Um, awesome. No, I agree with you. I think I get super annoyed and frustrated by the whole family as an idolatry thing. Cause it's like, dude, we are light years away from that. Like we are. And then people usually bring up like the parallel of like, where, where Jesus says stuff about, you know, um, heavy critiques and indictments on like the children of Abraham and you're not, you know, you need to be reborn. It's like, yeah, but you don't like, let's actually get into the first century Jewish context and realize how thick, first of all, like 3000 years of being born in the family of Abraham and what that actually meant. We're not even, we're not even close. Like we're not even, we're light years away from family idolatry in our culture, in my opinion. Um, compared to like some of those contextual ones you see in the text. But I will say there is a layer of kind of family, family insulation, I'll call it, that I think is wrong and does happen and is more in the, you know, like radical David Platt, uh, you know, Francis Chan realms. And that's usually what they're talking about. But to me, those are two separate things. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, there it, it is like, 
here's, here's a way to put it. So God's design to put back the world is family on mission, meaning a family team on a mission multi-generationally. That's the right way to do things. Now, the wrong way to distort that is two close versions. The first one is family and mission. So there's your family and then there's your mission. Now, that is traditionally the people that is the pastor where they're leading a great church and their family hates them, right? Mm-hmm. And no one walks with the Lord and everyone walks away from the church. That's family and mission, meaning like they didn't see their family integrated into their mission whatsoever. Same thing with missionaries. It happens a lot of times where the dad just says, I'm going to be a missionary, and they drag their kids to Africa, and they never actually ask their family if we all feel equipped as a team with our skills and our talents to do this together. They said, no, I just got called by God, and so I'm going to go do this. That's family and mission. That's wrong. That's distortion number one. Distortion number two is not family and mission, and it's not the right way of family on mission, but it's family as mission. And that's the story, and that's the kind of that, you know, caricatured version of the homeschool people that wear their helmets and wear, you know, live in a white picket fence. And we're gonna homeschool too, by the way. So we're not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying like the caricature of meaning like right. the primary value is safety, like safety and protection and building up, you know cute little Christian holy kids, that is just as distorted as well, right? Because the family, it's, 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 it's cancerous. That's the actual definition of cancer, of like an overgrowth of cells, is the family becomes its own mission. And that's really small compared to the mission God has given us to bless and reign and rule and multiply over all the earth. And so that that is the realm, like the family as mission, meaning our goal is just to create an awesome family, that's distortion number two, but that's also the common one that when people are talking about family idolatry and some of these other kind of speakers that I think are really great and really helpful because there is, a, I think, an idol of safety. I don't think it's an idol of family. I think it's an idol of safety and, like, appearance and an idol of, like, um, perfection and all those things, but it just usually it plays out in family. Then that's where the, I, I think they're talking about. But, I, but to me, like, that's just apples and oranges compared to family on mission, if that makes sense. Dude, you said that so beautifully, really. Like that was really, really helpful and very well said uh, and a really clear distinction in that. And the last part of what you said I think was really helpful too. I I think that what's happening when pastors and when Christian leaders are saying, you know, family has become the idol, I think it's other things that have become the idol within the family, like what you just said, safety, or it could be other things like even busyness. Um, Families that are choosing to be super busy and consumed with sports seven days out of the week or whatever. Um, But but the the family is not the idol there. It's the other things that that are the idol. So yeah, I think that that was really helpful distinction. Um, you said one thing in the family teams, uh, I don't know if it was a podcast recently or on the family teams, Instagram, but, um, talking a lot about that, that shift for a dad to be thinking through like himself as a coach, uh, Mm. and how monumental that was for you when, when Jeremy talked about for you to like shift your thinking as a coach, what does that mean for like, obviously we've got dads listening right now. Um, how do you take a dad who's just kind of like wandering and figuring out his role as a, as a man within his family and like, what, what would it look like for him to shift his thinking to become a coach in his family? Yeah. Well, I think it's first if like, understand you, you are one, it's just, are you a good one or a bad one? Are you a passive one? Are you an active one? But I think on top of that, it first you, have, you can't have a coach without a mission and you can't have a coach without a team. Now, every dad, if you're a dad, you have that. The mission is, like I said, the Genesis mandate of reigning and ruling, cultivating and creating and making beauty and order out of chaos in your vocation or in your domain or in your city. So everyone has the same mission, just localized contextually to themselves. So that's the mission. Okay. 
And then the team obviously is if it's just you and your wife, then that's just you too. And if it's you have kids, it's your kids, foster kids, adoptive, adopted, anything. It's just your team is your team. Like what, what, what your team is, you know who your team is. And then once you have a, that, then you realize, then you realize you need to step into the role as a coach because every mission and a team need a coach. It's something, someone without a coach, a team without a coach just flounders and wanders and has no direction and can't actually accomplish the mission. And I think just the sports analogy rings true and holds true across the board of just a really helpful lens to see fatherhood through of like, you, it's active, right? Like what, what do coaches do? Co- coaches shepherd their kids, their team. They, um, they fan the flames of the mission. They pick them up when they're down. They hold practices. They do drills. They get out the whiteboard. They do team exercises. They do team building. They celebrate the wins. They take them out to dinner. They do pizza party. Like it's just, it's everything. There's not one ounce of like coaching and team analogy that can't be a direct correlation to like what we need to do with our families. And I think the cool part is once it's not even like a lot of pressure. It's like, once you realize that it's invigorating, I think it just gives you the framework where everything just, you know what to do, like just, you know, and experiment and test and mess around. And so it's basically like, it's, it's a leading your family through a coaching mentality. But I think we have to realize it's sad where dads are really good little league coaches and then just they don't do anything close to that at home. And it's like, why, why, is the, why does the 12-year-old that pays $500 registration fee get more coaching from you than your son? You know? And so it's like – it's just – I think there's actually layers there because our, our world is not set up for it. America and the West is not set up for father coaches. We have no place for fathers. We demean fathers. We shame fathers. Uh, the home is – overemphasized feminine overemphasized in regards to a kind of a, 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 a there's, there's not places for, there's not places for men to enter in and not saying that you also come in and start throwing axes and eating meat. And I actually don't like either of those things. And I'm like a more, very much of a more creative, sometimes feminine quote unquote man than some of the other guys, just in the sense of like, I like design, I like home decor and all these different things. So it's not saying that I'm not saying caricatured manhood. I'm saying like, the biblical mandate of manhood, which every man can fit into, which is if you're a dad is, is to, you know, father and coach and lead and shepherd and be the first defense over your team as you take them on a mission. And so, yeah, I just think it's a really helpful framework that everything kind of locks into place. And so then it's really basic. Hey, do you have practices with your family? Like you should, do you have games with your family? You should, do you have kind of trainings with your family? You should. Do you celebrate the wins and the losses? Or I mean, mourn the losses and celebrate the wins. You should. Do you do drills? You should. Like it, it's just across the board what a coach does. And give, that give me, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, Jeff. Let, give me an example. So like for a dad that's listening, that just needs like some real practical, like something he can sink into. So like when you say like, does it? Do you as a dad thinking through as a coach? do you practice? Like what would be a practice scenario for a dad that wants to think like put on the coach hat? Totally. So there's a ton of different ways that this can kind of go depending on the age of your kids. Now we have toddlers and a baby. So we're, it's like everything is so, 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 so simple. So then you have to ask, okay, what is the game? Kind of what's the game that your family has been called to the vocation that you've been called to. And we kind of have a mission statement of our family, which is, the Lord's prayer, but with Maui on it. So we say on Maui as it is in heaven through these eight pillars. And then we have like different pillars of, um, our value system that we concentrate on and, and that everything gets filtered by. And one of those is hospitality. And I think that's a really easy example of not everyone is called to this, but for us, that's our game of like, we believe that the kingdom of God is going to move 
and that the kingdom of God is going to be brought down on Maui as it is in heaven in at, at our table, like when we can have meals together. And so um, with people in our community and we invite neighbors over and we invite friends over and we ask them how their marriage is doing. Like that's a, that's a, a huge part of our, our I, I hate, I don't like the word ministry because it just then it makes like, it's, it's like a spiritual thing. No, it's like, no, it's like, but it, but I do think that's the word there. Like we see that as our ministry. So that's one example of, to us of what the game would be, right. Of like having people over, being able to minister to them as a team. So then you back up and then and say, okay, we want to make sure then when we have people over that we don't have a four-year-old who's running around, you know, lighting the house on fire, going crazy and you know what toddlers do. So then we train and we practice to the game. Right. And that is what that would be for us is like, just, we have a lot of meals that are super particular and super like I train and I repeat and we redo and, and it's kind of monotonous and it feels kind of ridiculous, but to us, but to us, it's, we're working backwards from what our game is. Right. Now that one's really small because of us with toddlers, but yeah, like the priors, you know, they have adult, they have adult children all the way down to like a 10 year old. So their games are more like actual, I, I can't think of any right now, but like, yeah, really serious, like city building projects where they use their creativity, they use their finances, they use their love, they use their home in ways that are deeply impactful where they take that as a family, they go bless the city and love the city and love people and love families with their money and their work and their talents. So then you just kind of go backwards with them. How do we practice to that then? Right. Um, how do we kind of keep up? How do we kind of make sure we're in the weight room per se, you know, for that? Right. And then drills and all that. So that, that's one really easy practical example of like for us of tread is like one of the there's a lot of those, but one of those easy ones is the table for us. And so we practice to that, we train to that, we teach to that, um, because we believe that's one of our games as a family in our city. I love that, man. That was super practical. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm thinking through you know, I I've um I've coached a lot of things actually, like sports and stuff, um, over the years. And I remember even as a coach, like an actual sports coach you would push your players in practice to the point where like, I remember even pushing players uh, trying to get them to their potential where they were actually like in tears, right? Cause they're just like, they're challenging themselves. They're, they're trying to go to, to places as an athlete that they hadn't been. And just taking that analogy over to the, the, your kid's world and thinking through like, uh, instead of trying to protect and shelter my kids from everything that might cause them some kind of hardship or make them uncomfortable. Uh, if I have my coach hat on, I can actually see myself like, all right, I'm going to push my son or my daughter um, into areas that may be uncomfortable for them because I know that this is practice for whatever bigger game that they're going to be playing later. So I think just helpful examples like that is, uh, you know, as you see yourself as a dad, that's more of a coach uh, and less of just like, I'm going to make my kid's life as comfortable as possible. Totally. And, and that's actually what's funny is, again, when you actually think about it, that's one of the things that is actually one of the biggest mistakes sometimes we make in the Western American family model is that we, we, we're so nervous, so nervous and so scared to overburden our kids, to ask too much of them and let the kids be kids. And don't when, when in reality, that's not that we're, we're conflating two different issues. We burden kids when we don't call them up into a big enough story, but still demand that amount of work. But anyone in any stage wants to actually like bend over backwards for a bigger story. Right. And you can even take a tiny dumb example of like gardening or whatever. Like there's that level of when you garden and you're out in the yard for a full day, it's, it's hard, hard work, especially for someone like me who types all day. Um, but when I come in after the end of the day, I'm deeply, deeply fulfilled, right? There's something about it that's rich and meaningful because it's creating life and beauty in our yard. 
and there's a story attached to it. It's feeding our family, whatever. And so I just think, yeah, there's, there's that weird lie we believe that like, no, no, kids can actually be raised, be called to a much higher bar than we think. And they actually want to be. You just have to make sure there's a really good and beautiful story there. What's up, guys? Hope you're getting a lot out of this interview. I know I am. Whenever Jeff's on, I end up taking tons of notes and going back and listening to it because he always drops such great wisdom and good stuff. Uh, In a few minutes, he and I are going to be talking about this new course that he put out for dads. He and his mentor, Jeremy, called The Skill of Fatherhood. It's a masterclass. It is so good. Um, But before we dive into that in just a few minutes, I do want to make sure I give you all the information on it because I don't want you to miss it and the promo code that we're doing with this episode. So uh, if you go to skillafatherhood.com, again, that's skillafatherhood.com, you're going to see the the masterclass that is on there for parents, specifically dads. Um, I I know I talk about a lot of good things on the podcast. I'm always trying to give you guys the best resources that I find, but I have yet to find a resource that is more comprehensive and practical in 2019 uh, and biblically based for dads specifically. This is, in my opinion, the best resource online course that you can take for you as a dad to just come up with an A to Z plan and how to parent. There's there's lots of good advice out there. There's lots of good like thinking on, on fatherhood, biblical thinking, um, but there is no course out there that's really taking you A to Z plan on like how to make multi-generational family teams of disciples. So uh, I cannot recommend this product highly enough, this course highly enough. It is so, so, so good. Again, go to skilloffatherhood.com. And the cool thing is Jeff is hooking you up with a promo code. So if you just use dad tired, one word, dad tired, uh, it's going to give you $20 off of that course. Uh, it, it really is just, it, it's absolutely amazing. I bought it. I was, I think I was one of the first people to bought it just as like a personal uh, dad uh, who wanted to dive in and start going through it. So I, I really can't emphasize highly enough how good this course is. If you are a dad who wants like a more of a game plan to help raise disciples in your family, this course is a must have. Skilloffatherhood.com. Use the promo code DADTIRED at checkout. Um, today in your Instagram, you said you, you posted something super interesting um, about physical touch and specifically related to males and physical touch and some stuff that you had been reading on, on that. You said it much more beautifully than me. So can you just give me uh, give us a quick recap of like what that post was about? Yeah, so essentially and that's been one of my um, most mi- mind blowing kind of things that when I've read and researched is that is that oh, this one blew my mind. Is it like it's one of the biggest physical touch and it's actually there's actually psychological terms for it where it's called touch deprivation or touch hunger or skin hunger, which is kind of like a creepy phrase. But it's true. Like it's true. Like I actually like the creepiness of it because it shows you the like seriousness of it. Like people are mm-hmm. actually hungry and thirsty for touch. And we're one of the most touch depraved cultures in all in ever. Like think about how every every new advancement of technology is actually just pushing us more and more into isolation all the way back to like homes. Like it used to be multi-generational homes where 15 people lived in a house. Now, then it was, you know, just one family lived in a house like around 1930. Then all of a sudden we don't have five kids anymore. We have one kid. So then there's three people. The house is getting bigger, 3,000 square feet. Then we have phones where we connect with people there, not actually in any type of marketplace scenario. Like you can just go on and on and on. Every innovation is just to completely vacuum us into like crazy isolation. And because of that, we just are like, we're touch depraved and deprived. And it's, 
there's just the predictors of it are just kind of insane. Like you, you're more likely to be incarcerated from touch uh, if you've never been, t- and, and in a healthy way, meaning like platonic, loving, affectionate touch. Uh, you're more likely to be incarcerated, more likely and more prone to violence. There's a direct correlation to kids who weren't touched as a kid well and lovingly, meaning like hugged and wrestled and tickled and just really beautiful, amazing, intimate touches that are like part of normal human relationships. Uh, there's a direct correlation between when you don't have that, you actually become more violent when you're older. People that did have that actually were complete cultures and societies to almost have zero violence. So it's really weird how violence is almost the outburst of lack of physical touch. It's really interesting. And so, yeah, there's a lot there, but I just think then to bring it back down to dads, like, man, it is deeply important that two steps have to happen. You have to get over yourself and heal with your own self. Like if you have problems there, meaning like if you struggle with physical touch, if you think hugs are awkward, if you don't know how to properly show affection to your children, like that's going to reap damages on not just your soul, but your entire families. So you have to realize the weight of that and lean into it. And the cool part is Jesus does heal and Jesus does meet you with grace and he does meet you with such um, gentleness there of like, man, you can really look some of that pain in the face because of Jesus standing next to you. And he's victorious over it because a lot of that stuff has come from bad touches, from unhealthy touches, from evil touches, from abusive touches. And what's beautiful about Jesus is he redeems, he restores, he heals, and he beautifully touches. I know it sounds weird, but it's not a coincidence that a lot of his miracles had to actually involve physical contact first. Not all of them, but like, hey, he touched them. He reached out to them. And Jesus is probably the only one in human history who had never done, it's weird to say, if you think about it, but Jesus is the only human in all of human history probably who had never done one single bad touch in his life. I know it's weird, but like Mm. his hands were only touches of love and affection and gentleness and grace, never violence, never a punch, never this, never that, you know, any, any type of bad touch. And so just sitting in that. And then the second step is, man, like, Realize it's really important to your kids. Realize it's really important. And once you've been able to walk through that, to to love your kids well, to hug them, to rest. Like da- dads are the first line. You're the first teacher. You're the first teacher on what healthy touch is, what bad touch is, what appropriate touch is, what boundaries are, what no means. Like, and so utilize that. Like step into that role. You're the first. And and there's even some psychologists that talk about that. The dads, that's actually their primary role in the toddler stage, is to push the boundaries with the kids in like a wrestling way. So that they can learn because that's the only way they learn, right? Wrestle with them. Okay, how do you know when someone gets hurt? How do you know when like it doesn't feel good anymore? How do you know when it's not funny anymore? How do you know all that stuff? Um, all the way down to hugs and nighttime and cuddles, etc. Um, and yeah, there's a lot there, but I just think, man, that's that's such a powerful component that should be in father's toolboxes that are void, you know? Yep. You said in the Instagram post that uh, for guy touches or male touches are almost exclusively reserved in our culture for violence or sex. Um, and man, I think that you, you just nailed it on the head there that we would be men of the kingdom who bring the good news and be part of the redemption of the world. And for us, uh, we're not going to be a touch for men of God is not going to be reserved for violence or sex, but for the grace of God and compassion and joy and love and all that stuff. So really, really good reminder, man. Totally. It's, uh, it's a, yeah. And, it's, and then, uh, yeah, the sexual component, I didn't, uh, talk about as much either, but yeah, we're over sexualized with our touches and over and over, uh, kind of glorified in violence with our touches. And yeah, it's a huge, it's a crisis. It's at a crisis level. And so, and I think the sexualized one is actually the one that's really the most hurtful because that one then is usually what actually prevents us from healthy touch because 
it it clouds our mind, poisons our mind to now then touches that are good and healthy, then the wires are crossed. You know what I mean? Yeah. We interpret yeah. wrong. We don't understand. We feel weird. We feel awkward. But that's usually coming from a place of like shame or a place of just history with bad with like with all that. You know, so it's a really interesting kind of web that has to be untangled. But like you said, that uh, Jesus heals and he reigns over that for sure. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Uh, tell us about the skill of fatherhood. You got a course out. Uh, it's called the skill of fatherhood, um, where really you unpack a bunch of this stuff that we talked about, especially in regards to like dad as a coach, family teams, practices, rhythms, all that stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah, we, me and Jeremy literally made an entire master class. I mean, we have smaller level courses, but this one we went all out, tried to put as much as we could in it to really walk and come alongside fathers. So I think it's 199 for the whole masterclass, but you know, people that are listening through you, they can get that discount. I think that we wanted to hook them up down in the description, but um, yeah. So essentially, what's cool about this one is it's we went all out. So it's it's three modules, um, kind of three sections, and each section maybe has you know eight to ten videos, and those three modules are uh, it's, I'm off the top of my head, I'm blanking right now, but I think it's um, the skill of the skill of being a team, the skill of being multi generational, and the skill of being uh, a father coach. I think and hmm. And yeah, we just unpack all those topics we give and it comes with an, it comes with a really, really cool workbook that is fully like walks you through all the systems. It has charts and exercises like we don't leave you hanging. It's not one of those master classes or courses where you get overwhelmed. We actually did the opposite. Like we really systematically unpack it, talk you through it, get you to do some exercises and some things where we really want to equip and enable fathers out there to be coaches leading their family on a multi-generational as a multi-generational team. And so, yeah, we're really excited about it. I think they can go to skilloffatherhood.com or like you said, to, to get the discount if they want to, for sure. It's, you, you'll tell more about that or it's in the description. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty sweet. It's, you, you get it for life. It's me and Jeremy. We have about four or five bonus interviews in there with other families. So we interviewed a couple of families of just like, hey, because the cool part is like this always looks a little different for each family. And it's really cool to hear how you know this creative dad is kind of applying it. And this more like CEO dad is doing it. And this more like construction worker dad's doing it. And so... We have some interviews in there with some different families. Um, Alyssa's on a couple of videos. His wife, April's on a couple of videos. Um, but me and Jeremy kind of host it and facilitate it the whole time. But yeah, it's one of those things where I was sitting there while we were recording it, the whole thing over like four or five days. And I was just like, dang, like this is legit. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, yeah. I was like, I, I need this. Like I was like, I want to go through it again, even though I just sat here and listened to it all. And so, yeah, it's really powerful. And I think it'll really, really hopefully help dads out there. Yeah, dude, when you when you put it out there the first time when you announced it, I, I like wanted to be the first guy to, to buy it. <laughs> I yeah. bought it. Uh, as you know, I bought it. Totally. And I was just like uh, super excited to start diving into that. Well, I feel like we just uh, need more stuff wife, like this. We need more. Yeah, I just I, I we, we tried to create what we feel like we couldn't find for ourselves, which is just a really yeah. nuts and bolts, systematic, like walk me through the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I might, I told my wife, Layla, like there's so few things out there for dads, like so few things out there for dads. Yeah. Um, and, and the few things that are out there are, it's just hard to like relate to a dad in his twenties or thirties, you know, like it's not meant for, <laughs> uh, as bad as that sounds, no, but there's totally. just, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of stuff out there. And yep. so I told Layla, I'm like, I know for sure Jeff is going to put something out. That's like really, really, really good stuff. And also makes sense for like 2019. So, yeah. No, we're excited. Um, yeah, that's what we always talk about. Me and Jeremy always talk about that. Of there is some decent stuff out there, but a lot of times it's always like 
you know, it feels a little bit more like 1980 than 2019. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So for those of you guys that are listening, uh, we'll put a link in the description. So if you want an exclusive code just for the dad tired listeners, make sure you go to that link. You've also got two podcasts, right? Coming out. um, Yeah. So they're already, yeah, they're they're already out. They're coming out right about when people are listening to this episode. So yeah. So we got one called five minute fatherhood. That's a daily podcast. They can listen to every single day, Monday through Friday five minutes. That one's really kind of small, bite-sized little nuggets, fun stuff, serious stuff, just little tips and tricks as we talk through fatherhood, me and Jeremy. And then another one called Dad's Building Teams, which is kind of similar to what you're doing here of just long form dad interviews. Um, and, and, and to tip our hat to you to make sure you hear and know that, yeah, we, we love what you're doing, have taken notes from what you're doing and have been blessed by what you're doing as well. Just equipping dads, talking to other dads. It's just, it, it, we need more of it. And I'm so appreciative of you and what you've done here on the, the dad tired podcast. So yeah, huge, huge appreciation means a lot, man. Well, I'm super excited for what you're doing. Uh, there's, there's plenty of room for lots of gospel centered, Jesus centered, uh, dad stuff. So I'm stoked for what you've got going out. I'll be the first to listen first to buy dude. Thanks for taking the time to hang out and, uh, just share a little bit with us today, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. Hey, thanks again to Jeff for coming on for a second time and just sharing some good wisdom about fatherhood with our audience. I want to thank Blinkist again for sponsoring this episode. Super cool brand. Go to Blinkist.com. Use the promo code TIRED to try that out for a week. Uh, And then lastly, make sure you go to skillofatherhood.com. Use the promo code DADTIRED so that you can get $20 off that masterclass course called Skill of Fatherhood. We'll have a link to all of that in the description. So go to the show notes where you can find all that good stuff. Come hang out with us in the Dad Tired community. Uh, And as always, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.